Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Kids look at things a little bit differently all the time. And so, uh, you know, I, I always get the example. When I was in kindergarten, sister, sister Rosanna asked us all if we wanted to go to heaven. And all of us raised our hands except for Hector. She's like, you don't want to go to heaven, Hector? He's like, oh, I thought you were talking about today. I was blessed to have Dr. Danny on my show. He's a true inspiration and he empowers everyone he meets. We had an amazing time. Dr. Danny Brassel is a highly sought speaker, trainer, and coach who is known as the Jim Carrey with a PhD. Dr. Danny has spoken to over 3,000 audiences worldwide and authored 16 books, including his latest, Leadership Begins with Motivation. Danny, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? Fantastic. Thanks a lot for having me, Raphael. And more importantly, thanks a lot for spreading joy and positivity in the world. We need a lot more of Raphael, a lot less of the negativity I see. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. You're so right. We do have so much negativity. And that's why I'm excited to talk to you. I'm telling you, we have so much to talk about. I think you wrote 3,000 books. You're known in the industry from reading your bio, Jim Carrey with a PhD. So. (laughs) I know we're going to have some laughs. I know we're going to talk about some serious stuff. And you even just brought it up right away how we need to have that positivity in our lives, right? But we need to smile more often, don't we? Yeah, I learned that as a a kindergarten teacher. I always have, I always tell people I take my job seriously. I don't take myself seriously because I ain't all that and neither are you. Mm. If you think you're all that, teach kindergarten for a week. Those little ones will set you straight. <laughs> I once had a little girl, LaShonda, she raises her hand. I'm like, LaShonda, question. And she's like, Miss Bissell, when are you going to trim your nose hair? I'm like, uh, this afternoon. Thanks for bringing that to my <laughs> Not all that. <laughs> you know, the beauty of kids is that they're honest. Right? Absolutely. No filter. <laughs> no filter. And it's the fu- they are the funniest ones around. Absolutely. But we got to give them a chance to go ahead and be funny, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let those personalities burst out all the time. And they, they say amazing things. I always talk about, I had this uh, beautiful little girl, Maya. She comes up to me at recess one day and she's like, Miss Bissell, Miss Bissell, this is Angene. Angene is Nikisha's friend. Nikisha is my friend. So that means Angene is my friend too. I'm like, wow, 
what a lovely way to look at the world. Right. You know, uh, I really kind of think the kids have it a lot better than the adults. <laughs> they do. Until, unfortunately, adults start to put that negativity in, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's terrible. So how, how do we stop that? I, I'm just curious. Any ideas? Well, I was watching this horrible show uh, on TV a couple of weeks ago called uh, The News. And uh, I don't watch that in a foul mood. And so that's the first tip I always give people is turn off the TV news and read a funny children's book. You'll impress your friends. You can say, oh, I read a book cover to cover last night. They're like, really? What was it about? It was about this little red hen. You know, uh, (laughs) we got to keep it. And I I mean, kids don't care about it. It it drives me nuts that my three kids know about politics now because politics has Mm. been dominating lately. I'm like, you're a kid. You shouldn't care about politics. Uh, You should be doing things that are fun and being goofy. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and you're so right. I've had kids ask me during um, Time to Vote, they're like, who are you voting for? I'm like, hello? <laughs> who are you voting for? And they're like, well, if I had a vote, and then, I, then I always ask them why. And it's, you know, usually it's not their own opinion. It's their parents' opinion, yeah. obviously. Except for the kids whose house is divided, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. So my gosh, you you written like i said 500,000 books you <laughs> you were a kindergarten teacher i just found this out and you have a phd so let's let's go into all of that but let's first start off with we're talking about kids when you were a kid what do you recall what was the the, the fondest memory as a kid and then who would you say influenced you the most yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate that, Raphael. So it's kind of ironic. I'm considered America's leading reading ambassador. And the reason that's ironic is because I grew up hating reading. Mm. My father was a librarian, and I always hated the public library growing up. You know, the, the seats were always uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> you know, it always had a weird smell. Mm. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. There's always some homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out by the bookshelves. I always hated the public library. It wasn't until I, I started teaching in the inner city, Raphael, where I saw that a lot of my kids didn't have a lot of the basic advantages that I had that I took for granted. I mean, you know, I didn't grow up rich. We were lower middle class, but we always had food on the table. Mm. And uh, my parents were both in the home uh, and they read to us in front of us and we had plenty of access to materials. And I, I just realized, wow, a lot of people take for granted all those basic advantages. And so that really became my passion. Uh, you know, I, I find that schools do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is, what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid, go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid, go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid, go read a book. I want them to choose to do it on their own because they love it. And so that's really my passion Um, in terms of people that had the greatest impact. I mean, obviously, my parents always had the greatest impact on my life. Uh, I actually had a teacher in seventh grade by the name of Will Hobbs. And Will Hobbs, he wound up becoming a best-selling young adult author. And Will was the first guy to get me interested in reading. He Mm. had about 5,000 books in his classroom. And every day at the beginning of class, he would tell us what he was reading. We would tell him what we were reading. And the rest of the 50-minute period, we read. Whenever we had a book, we'd go up to Mr. Hobbs. He'd put down the book he was reading, look through our book, ask us three or four questions. If If he thought our answers were all right, he gave us a point. Every book up to 200 pages was worth one point. Every extra 100 pages is worth another point. You needed 25 points to get an A, and the top five point totals 
had their names written on the board. And I wanted my name written on that board. <laughs> yes. so what? 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne. 500-page book, four-point book. Mm. Also an excellent Disney film starring James Mason and Kirk Douglas. I didn't really feel like reading a 500-page book, so I, I took the book up to Mr. Hobbs. He asked me four questions, and I learned a valuable lesson that day, Raphael. What's that? Ain't always like the movies. And Mr. Hobbs gave me the four points. And that was a great teaching trick. It taught me, you know, guilt guilt, guilt works because I read every word of every page of every book from that point forward. Wound up with 44 points, went well above and beyond what I had to do. He used the greatest strategy I've ever seen a teacher use to get a kid excited about reading. Mm. Found out what I was interested in, right. football. And right. at least once a week, he'd give me a book. He's like, hey, Danny, check out this book on John Elway. I think you'll like it. What are the odds I open up that book? In my experience with all ages, 100%. Kid might not read it, right. but they're going to open it. And also, by the fourth or fifth time I do that with a kid, those kids usually try and read that book because there's nothing more powerful than somebody significant in your life, a teacher, a coach, a parent, a pastor, an older sibling saying, you know what? I was thinking of you when I was reading this. Um, so I've had lots of, I've been blessed. I've had wonderful mentors. I mean, I love your show because we're talking about coaches and I'm like, Show me one successful person in life that didn't have coaches that guided that person along that path. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So you, you, you. Um, I, I love the answer, by the way. And but you still skirted. Tell me about your childhood. <laughs> I had a great childhood. I loved it. I, uh, you know, uh, what was your fondest memory? Well, going to the library. I'm going to give you a different story. So I was speaking in India at a school, and mm. uh, I was telling the kids uh, how to how to get pumped up and how they can accomplish anything in life. And this little right. boy comes up to me. He's missing. He only has a stump for his left arm. He has mm. tears in his eyes. He's like, Danny, how can I succeed? And I said, well, you know, when, and I, I don't usually share this story, but I said, well, when I was your age, I went to 18 different schools. You know, they kept on calling me stu stupid because I stuttered. Mm. And I eventually wound up going to a school where the teacher, she would sing things to me and I would sing them back without my stutter. And mm -hmm. eventually I lost the stutter and became a swan. It's kind of like the movie, The King's Speech. Right. But I looked at that little boy and I said, isn't it interesting that the little boy who they said was stupid and couldn't talk right now gets paid exorbitant amounts of money to travel the world, getting paid to do what? To speak. And he just had a big grin. I'm like, don't ever let anybody tell you what you cannot do. There's just so many so many examples of people mm -hmm. that overcame obstacles and i mean that's what i hope your audience is listening for is that you know we got to get excited about the uncomfortability we got to get excited about the adversity that's what makes us stronger and that's what's going to make us better without a doubt without a doubt so tell me who would you say when you were young who who would you say was one person who totally influenced you that you said when you look back and you go wow it's because of this person that's why I am who I am. Gosh. Was it that teacher? Was it someone else? Very tricky because I've had, you know, I, I see, I actually had wanted to create my own nonprofit called Five Mentors where I give every kid a coach, a teacher, mm. a pastor, or someone. Wow. I, because I realized that a lot of kids don't have those things. I had great, I mean, my football coach. Uh, my 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 offensive line coach Norm Putnam, my head coach Brian Hester, they had a tremendous impact on me. Yeah. The principal at my high school, Bobby Wright, had a huge impact on me. In college, 
I took my, my, my freshman year in college, I was a, a political science major, but I took Steve Taylor's journalism class because mm. the basketball team took that class. So I knew it was an easy A. And <laughs> one night he kept me after class and he said, Danny, I really wish you'd change majors. You're the best writer I've ever read. Well, that mm. comment got me to switch majors. And Steve was the person to get me my first job as a journalist. Uh, you know, uh, the, my mother, probably, I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to say mom. Mom mm. is probably the most uh, significant because, uh, you know, my mom never stops talking. I, uh, people think I, I talk a lot. I never had a chance for <laughs> my mother. My mother's never received a piece of mail that she did not feel compelled to read aloud to every single person in the, in the room. She'll be like, uh, hey, hey, Danny, you remember Mrs. Huffnagel? She died four years before you were born. I just got a letter from a daughter. Let me read this to you. I have no interest in this whatsoever. She'll read aloud every single newspaper article she finds fascinating. Fascinating. She'll be like, hey, Danny, you, you see the Lakers won last night? Yeah, mom, I read the article. Kobe scored 43. Did you read that? Yeah, mom, I read the article. How had 12 boards? Read? Mom, I read the article. And she gets more <laughs> something, you know, and, and she was great. She wound up be, being a school board member. It was her and six guys, and there was a lot of six to one votes. And so she taught mm. me how to stand firm to my beliefs and uh, how to be animated. She always had enthusiasm. I, we lost her actually almost a year ago today. Yeah, uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, she lived, she was, she's great. And I was, right. you know, I, when I lost her, I, I always say this to people that lose a loved one. Uh, Dr. Seuss has a great quote. He says, uh, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. And I was so blessed to have her in my life. It's a great, great way that, that you're looking at it because a lot of people will mourn for a very long time, right? But instead of, and I always say the same thing, so you, you and I are basically thinking the same way because I always say celebrate the moments. Remember those. Those yeah. are the most important. Remember their smile. Remember the funny things they did. Those are the things that keep them alive for me. You know, my mom died when she was 86 and my dad at 91. But it's it's those simple moments that I recall. I don't recall the bad moments, right? Yeah. I try to get rid of those <laughs> because yeah. you know what? Otherwise, it's going to be sad the whole time. Um, you know. So I remember the funny things. I remember the the the, the, the things that that taught me a lesson, right? Whether it was good or bad, I still learned because I always try to learn every day, yeah. and that's what books do for you, right? Yeah. Every day, reading something. There is not a day that doesn't go by that I'm not reading a book. Or rereading a book, right? What's your favorite book, Raphael? Uh, right now, I'm reading uh, "Think and Grow Rich" yeah. probably for the thousandth time, and the Habit book. So, so I have a couple of different books because authors are always sending me books. Which, by the way, I'm going to want one of your five. Yeah, I'll send it one to of you. them. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about your first book and one of your last books, and then in between. And then, you know, for me, uh, the question is, I think everybody who takes the responsibility to truly engage the young youngsters in us, right? I think they're superheroes. I think every kindergarten teacher is a superhero, every elementary school teacher, because they're truly shaping when we really, 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 really are becoming, when we are being shaped and a lot of it's the lessons that are we're, we're being taught, addition, subtraction, all that. Yes, that's important. But it's the little moments that that teacher will share with us. 
like that teacher telling you, hey, read this book, hey, read that book, hey, read this. Those moments will stick with us forever. So thank you for being a kindergarten teacher. And why did you choose that? I didn't choose it, Raphael. I actually started off as a high school teacher. Uh, oh, you did? Okay. I saw the movie Stand and Deliver, which if, if your audience is oh, love it. a true story of Jaime Escalante going to Garfield High School in East Los Angeles to teach mm -hmm. advanced placement calculus. So I said, I'm going to be Jaime Escalante. So I was originally hired to teach 12th grade social studies in Compton, California. It's a community in South Central Los Angeles. And they switched me from working with high school students to middle school students, to upper elementary, to lower elementary, to pretty soon, instead of preparing students for college, I was coming home with snot marks all over my pants from my little one <laughs> all day. And, and it was great, Raphael, because I learned what works with a 12th grader does not necessarily work with a kindergartner. No. But what works with a kindergartner works with all age levels. I mean, uh, you know, one of the benefits of uh, you and I are on the same wavelength. I mean, you have a choice every day, focus on the negative or focus on the positive. I, I look at the opportunities. And so the one great thing that COVID presented me was overnight, I lost all of my speaking engagements. Never, mm. never did I think that there wouldn't be public events. I was like, wow, that's amazing that that yeah. happened. Uh, but fortunately, we have this type of technology like StreamYard, like we're using right now, and Zoom and all the and Microsoft Teams and all these different things. Mm -hmm. And it actually opened up the entire world to me. I, I would do interviews every day where I'm like uh, Nigeria, then Nepal, then South Carolina. It was crazy. And to to make extra income, I started working with executives on on their speaking skills and how to how to spice up their speeches, become more confident or whatever. And that's become like one of my favorite things to do now. I get to work with all kinds of uh, entrepreneurs and people who, because I, I truly believe that uh, your communication skills are one of the most vital, you know, they call them soft skills, but I'm like, what? there's nothing soft about them. If you can communicate, especially as a speaker and move people, you're going you're gonna to be successful. And so uh, I've been very blessed uh, with, with that in my life. Uh, and it was I, I'm using the same principles I use with my students because with a kindergartner, you have about seven minutes to have their attention, and then you have to move on to the next thing. It's constant. I, I always call kindergarten teachers, it's New York, New York. You know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere because you can't stink. I mean, as you progress in education, they allow teachers to be lazy and not very good. You know, and I, I, I never put down teachers just because I think teachers uh, – we give them the shaft all the time. I, I read something on social media the other day I thought was great. It says, we don't have a teacher shortage. We have a shortage of people with master's degrees willing to work for $30,000 a year and no accolades. And that's exactly right. We love to dump everything on the teachers. And I was hoping that the pandemic was going to make the millions of parents out there who all of a sudden were forced to involuntarily homeschool their kids i wanted them to realize now try doing it with 33 different kids in your classroom uh all day i mean it's not easy and so uh, i love that you're you're talking about the importance of teachers it's something um it's and i i always tell people no matter what you do you're always a role model and a teacher and uh, there's no higher calling when we compare kindergarten teachers to even eighth grade teachers it's a huge difference because the, the learning curve is already changed so drastically, but the creativity has to be there more in kindergarten, right? Because you have to liven them up. I mean, how, how many, I remember when I dropped off my kid even to pre-K, he was just crying the whole time. 
And I'm like, oh, my God, how do I leave this kid? But I knew I had to leave him. And then, you know, I know a few minutes later, he's going to be okay. But then the teachers have to deal with that is the kid missing the parent and then trying to engage them and then coming up with all different creative ways to keep them engaged and not say, oh, I need my mommy or my daddy. And and to say, you know what, let me have some fun. Let me learn something. And, you know, even draw inside the the box. But forget the box. I'm just going to draw you. I'm going to draw on the guy next to me, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? So. That creativity, I think, is so super important. And, and a lot of uh, it, it kind of gets put aside when we get into the, the, the higher grades. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I, you reminded me of one of my little boys. When I was teaching second grade, I had a little boy, Jose. And Jose was crying on the first day of school. He didn't want to leave his mom. Mm. And on the last day of school, he was he was, he was crying because he didn't want to leave me. <laughs> That's great. You know, I, I, and it, you're right about it. It's, it's tragic to me. I'm like, what's going on in this country? My kindergartners used to go to bed with their backpacks on. They were so excited to go to school. Mm, right. Meanwhile, my eighth graders were trying to think of ways to get sick. Like, yeah. what happened in those eight years to get that kid to hate school so much? I mean, if I'm doing my job, my students should be banging on my door at six in the morning every day. They're so excited to come in. And they should be in tears when they hear that final bell. You know, it was Carl Jung who said the... Uh, if there's, if there's something we wish to change in the child, we should first examine it and see whether it's something that could be better changed in ourselves. I mean, we love to judge really quickly. Mm-hmm. But kids, you, you were right on there. I'm, I, and you started the broadcast, you were talking about that. The most important question I teach kids to ask is why. You should always ask why. And even teachers, I say, there's two types of teachers, the, the kind that say that's wrong and the kind that ask, well, why did you say that? So, mm-hmm. because in my in my experience, kids are usually right. They might be using a totally different rationale, but the more I can question them, the better I can serve them. I'll give you an example. I used to teach at a preschool in downtown Los Angeles called Para Los Niños, uh, serves homeless Latino families. Mm. And uh, I had this little boy, Francisco, and on his little whiteboard, I wrote down Francisco and Papa. And in Spanish, I asked him to point to the word that said Papa, and he pointed to the word Francisco. And I asked him in Spanish, well, why'd you say that? And he's like, because it's bigger. Oh, he's associating the size of the word with the size of the person. That's interesting. Mm. I love kids look at things a little bit differently all the time. And so, uh, you know, I I always get the example when I was in kindergarten, sister, sister Rosanna asked us all if we wanted to go to heaven. And all of us raised our hands except for Hector. She's like, you don't want to go to heaven, Hector? He's like, oh, I thought you were talking about today. (laughs) <laughs> He's just looking at her question from a totally different point. Of view. You're absolutely right there. That's such an important question. And mm. kids give us brilliant answers all the time. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Why? I mean, as adults, don't we have to ask that all the time? Every day. Why am I doing this? If you want to, if you what want am to I stop, doing? Yeah, if you want to stop thinking, surround yourself with people that think the same way you do. That's mm. ridiculous. The reason. I love the United States is because of our diversity. You're, you're forced to, to be around people that are different, that have different viewpoints. I mean, and that's one of the lessons. If I, if I was training Congress and the president, I would train them. We need to learn how to be able to disagree in this country without being disagreeable in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I can disagree, but we can still be loving and respectful of one another and just appreciate that we might have different points of view on certain subjects. You know, even my wife and I, I love her to death, but we don't agree on everything. We're not supposed to agree on everything. You need to surround yourself with people that think differently, especially your audience, because 
when you get that coach that's able to push you in a different direction, you're like, huh, I never considered that before. You got to get comfortable be- becoming uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the, the things that I, I do not like is yes, people. Yeah. Do me a favor, don't yes me. And you please don't agree with me if you really don't, right? It's, it's okay to have your own opinion and it's okay to be different than me. And even if I am teaching you something, you can question my teaching. You can say, why are you saying it that way? What do you really also find out? What is it that I'm really telling you? Right. So one of the things I, I teach kids from all ages because I am a martial arts instructor. So I, love it. I, love I take it. them. Yeah, thank you. I take them from three and a half. I used to take them at two, but I don't have enough help for that area. But I bodily functions at two. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. And I have kids who are now with me. They're 16, 15, 14, 17 who were with me when the, I used to take the two-year-olds. They're still with me, right? Awesome. And somebody said to me about Jeffrey, they said, well, how long have you known Jeffrey? I said, all his life. <laughs> He's 17. And they're like, really? Wow. I'm like, yeah, he came with to me when he was two. So basically all his whole life. And, he, and Jeffrey goes, yeah, I know Sifu forever. And I'm like, and is that good or bad? He goes, it's great. You know, so one of the things I'm always inspiring them to question, you have to question. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that happens a lot is kids are the best investigators. They're always asking why, Mm -hmm. why, 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 why. And then what happens is adults stop telling them, stop saying that, stop saying, don't ask me that, don't ask, you don't need to know. So what happens is later on, they become young adults. They barely talk. Yeah. They're just into their their phone, their Xbox, their PS4 or 5 or 50, whatever number we're up to. And they're not inquisitive anymore. And we need to bring that back. I want people asking me. It's not because I said it. And don't take my word for it. Find out if I'm right. You know, question it. And I love that. So thank you for bringing that up because that's important. You know, I love everything you just said there, Raphael. I mean, think about it. Someday Jeffrey's going to be on a podcast and somebody's going to ask him, who's the person that changed your life as a child? And he'll say, Master Sifu. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. pretty cool. I, maybe. maybe. That's, that's powerful. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I, I think that's great. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, and I'm with you a thousand percent on, on the reading aspect. You know, for me, I came from Colombia and you asked me earlier, what part of Colombia? I came from Pereira, right? Where's Pereira? Pereira is somewhere in Colombia. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you why, because I've become so Americanized. So I came when I was eight years old, right? And I did not know English at all. And the school I went to, no one spoke Spanish. Wow. So that was that. So you can only imagine. And the thing is, my parents didn't even know that there was a bus that I should take. So my school was about two miles from home. So they showed me the first time, this is how you get to school. This is how you get back. Nobody ever took me to school. Wow. I did not know about, I think my first bus was maybe in fifth grade or sixth grade. I always walked to school, any school, right? For me, it was not only being bullied, being made fun of because I didn't understand what was going on, Mm. The hardest word for me, and I had a teacher who came, stepped in. I couldn't say the, mm. T-H-E. I couldn't say uh, that. Uh, D-A would be yeah. the Spanish. Yeah, that. 
So ah. she, she had me doing TH, 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 th. For me, it was truly learning by listening and adapting and seeing. Yeah. So that learning curve for me was really quick. I didn't have a choice. It wasn't like I can be like we have so many immigrants who come to our country now, including my parents, which used to tick me off because they didn't care to learn the language. And I'm like, what are you crazy? I'm not a your interpreter because I used to have to interpret for them. Right. Yeah. But so for me, it's if we come to another country, I think we have to get deep into it and start learning no matter how. Watch TV, do anything. Start stop talking in your language at home and try to communicate with the other language of whatever. If I go to a different country, I'm going to submerge myself into the culture, into the language. Yeah. I think to me, that's important. Yeah, I, I mean, and here's another way of looking at that, too, because I, I mean, I, I like where you're going with it, because I always tell people in order to succeed in America, you need to learn English. Mm -hmm. that's, that's definitely the, the fact. But here's the point I make to people. But it doesn't have to be at the expense of your home language, because you know, no, without a doubt, you have a research in Spanish. The better you get in your first, <laughs> yeah, the better you get in your first language, the more those skills will transfer to your second language. Mm -hmm. So I've always dealt with, uh, you know, uh, when they sent me at, at uh my first elementary school, on the first day of school, principal said, uh, Ms. Purcell, do you speak any Spanish? I'm like, un poquito. Says, good, you're our new bilingual coordinator. Oh my this goodness. was a school of 950 students and 85% of them spoke Spanish as a first language. On the mm. first day of school, they gave me 75 kids and said, we don't know what country they're from, what grade they're in. Can you figure it out? So I'm like, uh, Maria, second thumb. Go to kindergarten, Paco, mustache, go to fifth grade. And I looked at my kids. It's, you all know Spanish. I know English. We're all getting two languages this year. And I, I think that's the that's the framework we should be using is hey, let's 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 make two statements that I think are true statements, like in geometry. This is a mm -hmm. statement. I think in order to prosper in America, it is very important that you learn English. I think everybody can agree on that. And then the second statement should be, but it doesn't have to be at the expense of your home language. I, I, I'm constantly emphasizing this to parents. I'm like, I want you speaking Spanish at home because it'll help your kid in the English. And people have to, for some reason, America is so xenophobic when it comes to language. I'm like, but language actually helps us, you know, and, and the English language the, the strength of the English language is it accepts words from other languages. It's kind of like a virus it's spread around the world. <laughs> see, languages are starting to die off because English is taking over for those languages. Uh, I always talk about the history of the English language. Uh, you know, 90% of the, of the language is based on Latin and Greek roots. But uh, there's all, I mean, I always tell people we need to embrace immigration and not, not fear it because a lot of the, the vocabulary we get came from other languages. So for example, um, we'd all have really dirty hair if it wasn't for our immigrants from India, because the word shampoo is a Hindi word. Thank goodness for our, our Arabic uh, immigrants, because the word alcohol comes to us courtesy of Arabic. Mm -hmm. You know, Slavic languages like Russia, Russian and uh, uh, Polish gave us words like uh, stroganoff, vodka, robot. When Chuck Norris and his friends invaded England in the ninth century, the uh, the Vikings they introduced all kinds of vocabulary: angry, hung, was it angry, angry cake, pretty uh, things like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, les bosses from uh, France when William the Conqueror 
invaded England in 1066, not only did the French dominate English literature and culture for a couple of years, it also dominated the language. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to watch Law and Order if it wasn't for the French, because almost all legal courtroom terms come to us courtesy of French. We mm. wouldn't have to pay taxes if it wasn't for the French, because the word tax actually comes to us from French. Mm. Uh, We'd have nothing to read because words like history, story, poetry, those are all French words. Um, dances with words also had a huge impact on the English language. So when these people from Europe came to the Americas and Australia and New Zealand, there was things here that they didn't have in Europe. So they just accepted the terminology. So they didn't have coyotes or kangaroos in Europe. So they just kept the words coyotes and kangaroo. Um, I think it's 26 of our 50 states are actually Native American words, words like Alabama mm -hmm. and Native American words. And so, again, when I, I'll give you a perfect example, Rafael. I, I deal with a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking parents, and they feel ashamed to speak Spanish. I'm like, no, no, uh, you should be proud of that. Languages contribute to one another. I mean, I'm, I'm stronger at English because I know Spanish. Um, my Spanish, unfortunately, I mean, 25 years ago, I used to teach the entire day in Spanish. Now I I, you really do start to lose it if you don't use it. But if I went to Mexico for about a month and a half, I think I'd probably pick it all back up. Right back. <laughs> here's, here's a point I like to make to parents. Look at the word, look at the letter A. Look at that symbol. Mm. What, what sound does it make in Spanish? Ah. Uh, mm. Always ah. English. Ah. Ah. A. Sounds like I'm about to vomit. That symbol makes right. eight different sounds in English. Not a very useful strategy. Another mm. thing I love about Spanish. Let's say I say uh, in English, Maria is a beautiful woman. In Spanish, I would say, Maria es una mujer hermosa, or bella, or bonita. Spanish, like English, has lots of synonyms. Look at both of those sentences. Look at the emphasis in the sentence. In the English sentence, Maria is a beautiful woman. The emphasis is on the adjective, beautiful. In Spanish, I say, Maria es una mujer hermosa. The emphasis is on the noun, woman. woman. Look at that, Spanish got it right. In English, we're more concerned with what Maria looks like. In Spanish, they're more concerned that she's a human being. That's right. The noun is <laughs> the adjective. Another is thing. That I why it's called the romance language? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I always tell people another thing I love about Spanish, they put punctuation at the beginning of the sentence. So if it's a question in English, I read, Maria is a beautiful woman. I got to wait till the very end of the sentence to know it's a yeah. question. But in Spanish, they give me an upside down question mark right at the very beginning of the sentence. So I'm like, you know, same thing with an exclamation. In English, I have to wait till the end of the sentence. Maria is a beautiful woman. Yeah. You know? yeah. In Spanish, I know right from the very beginning because it gives me an upside down exclamation. And so again, if we just frame it, people get so defensive. And I'm like, I'm not. I, I don't think we need to be defensive. I think we need to look at what's the, what's best for the kid, you mm -hmm. know? And I think you were just thrown in on the deep end. I mean, that's one way to learn English. If nobody else speaks Spanish, well, there you go. You're going to learn English. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I mean, there are situations. You could live your entire life in this country having never spoken a word of English, and you could mm. prosper. I mean, uh, I don't like that. <laughs> I in East L.A. that they could run their family's Mexican restaurant, never learn a word of English. But I think. Same thing in, Florida, in Miami, you know. Yeah, in Miami are thinking, yeah. I don't need to learn. I was just English. in Miami. There were signs on some windows that said English spoken here. I'm like, well, that's nice. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I think English is important. I think this is something all of us can agree on. But I don't think it has 
has to be at the expense of home languages because language right. is closely tied to culture and people often take offense if you're insulting your la the language, you're insulting their culture. I mean, that's the other thing I tell people. I'm like, it drives me nuts that I see foreign dignitaries come to the United States and they always speak English, but I have yet to see an American president go abroad and attempt to speak Spanish or mm. German or French or something like that. And I, I don't know why people freak out. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm safe and secure in, in being an American and I speak English and I speak Spanish poorly. I, even when I spoke Spanish well, though, Raphael, with parents, I would always act like I didn't speak it very well because I wanted them to feel better about their English. Mm -hmm. And they'd always say, oh, so sorry, me English no good. I'm like, your English is fine. I understand everything you're saying. You know, as a matter of fact, I understand you better than some of the people born in this country. <laughs> so I, I think that's the way, that's kind of my approach to everything is let's make, let's laugh about it. Let's figure out like the, the silliness behind these things, but let's figure out, well, what's the way of moving forward? Um, and I love examples like, I mean, Raphael, your, your experience is incredible. I mean, I, to come at, at age eight to America without speaking a word of English, I mean, those are the stories I want to be reading on the front page of the paper. Like, no wonder people are suffering from depression. It's because mm -hmm. they're always reading about negative things. You know, they say garbage in, garbage out. I'm like, no, uh, Keith Harrell, wonderful speaker. He passed away a few years ago. He used to say garbage in, garbage stays. You tell a person they're going to fail long enough, they start to believe it. But here's the benefit. You tell a person they're going to succeed long enough, they start to believe that. Yeah, and that's, that's what your audience is benefiting from is, okay, how do I learn? how to have that mindset, you know, whether it's in martial arts or business or in other athletics or whatever, how do I have that kind of mindset? One of the things that you had me thinking is when they told you to go figure out who the kids are, where they're from and what grades they belong. What did you pick me out? Because at eight years old, I was put in first grade. <laughs> I was, and it, it, it was because they obviously knew I didn't know the language. And, and you know what? They did me a service mm. because if they would have put me in the correct grade, I would have maybe stumbled with the language. I caught up. Mm -hmm. but I caught up because I loved learning. Yeah. But, you know, and I, I graduated at 18. Otherwise, I would have graduated at what, 21? Yeah. So for me, it was okay. And at first, I didn't even know I was in first grade. Till later on, I'm like, okay. <laughs> but what wound up happening is, you know, what do you do with adversity? How do you approach it? Do, do you just, you know, take it at face value or do you say, you know what? Okay, this is what it is and this is what I'm going to do about it. Mm -hmm. And that's why for me, learning has always been huge. I'm, oh, I am, and I tell my, I tell everyone, tell my clients, tell my students, tell anybody. I am a sponge, and at the end of the day, I have to wring myself out so I can get new knowledge tomorrow. Mm. So I start as a fresh sponge every single day. You're teaching me things. Thank you for being on my show. I truly appreciate it. So when we think about the experiences you've had, and one thing that is very impressive that you're doing is that you're recalling stories, and you're telling them as if they just happened. Mm. And I appreciate that because you're remembering the kids' names. You, you're remembering Fernando. You're remembering, you know, whatever, Maria, whoever they were. And because they touched something in you. They touched the child in you so that you would remember them because they impacted your life. You know, and a lot of people, you know, they see 
people who maybe because people are looking always to keep up with the Joneses. Mm. Meanwhile, the Joneses don't even care about you. Right? <laughs> so it, stop thinking about the Joneses and think about the people around you that you can help elevate. Because the more we can elevate someone else, the higher we go. And we don't elevate someone by stepping on them either, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you just maybe think of that old phrase, uh, when you're 18, you care what everybody thinks about you. When you're 40, you don't care what anybody thinks about you. And when you're 60, you realize nobody was thinking about you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I realized that a very young age because who did care about me? Mm. Right. So I always tell everybody it's you need to care about you. You need to look in the mirror and love that person, because guess what? So many I've had so much adversity in my life. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't be able to be here with you today. So, you know, it, it's it's that positivity that we have to drive ourselves to. It's we have to take ourselves to the water. We have to drink the water, right? You know, we can't wait for someone else to offer because sometimes it'll never be offered. Yeah, I really like what you're saying there, Raphael. I mean, you got to get comfortable with you. You're going to mm -hmm. be stuck with you your entire life. Wherever and, I go, there I am. Yeah, and every day you have that choice. Am I going to focus on the light or the darkness? I mean. When I speak at uh, uh, school districts, you know, a lot of teachers will be offended that I'm giving all these funny stories and positive things. I'm like, oh, do you want to hear the sad stories? I can tell you the sad stories. Everybody I think there's too much sadness in the world. But I mean, so I tell them the story. I'm like, oh, when uh, my, my best day when I first started teaching elementary school was at Christmas that first year, I decided I was going to, I bought boxes of dominoes for all my students. And so I gift wrapped every box of dominoes, put a candy cane on it, and I gave all the kids their, uh, their uh, uh, boxes of dominoes that day. I figured, oh, this is a great present. It's a good math objective. They can learn counting and stuff. And what do the kids do? They're throwing them at each other. They're eating them, <laughs> you know. And then I see one of my little boys, Gonzalo, and Gonzalo refuses to open up his present. I'm like, Gonzalo, why don't you open up your present? He's like, oh, I want something under the tree this year. Aww. That was my best day. That like, was that was incredible. And and want to hear the sad stories? I don't want a sad story. I want to hear the yeah. happy stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, in that that happy story is a sad one. You know, because if if you look at it, I mean, the fact that you gave him something to look forward to because prior to that he didn't have it. So yeah. you know, you 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 impacted his life just by that one little yeah. gesture, right? Yeah. Yeah, and okay. to many people, you're like, why are you even going to bother with that? It's not worth it. But meanwhile, it was. Sounds like you got uh, New York uh, background music there. I have <laughs> lots of New York background music. And, you know, a city that never sleeps and it. a person that doesn't sleep right here. <laughs> Great city. Love it. So t tell me, you are you still teaching kindergarten? No, no. I, I go around the world. I speak. And uh, now I'm doing a lot more of... Uh, uh, coaching uh, executives and entrepreneurs how to get better at their speaking. And I love it. Uh, and I, every now and then I still will speak to, to students to get them pumped up. I'll be speaking uh, in Hawaii here pretty soon. Oh, nice. I'll open up the kids about reading. Uh, it was it was great. I had to, when I was in India, uh, and I love India. India's incredible because uh, when you're in American audiences, you see people doing this. When you're in India, everybody is sitting there like this. <laughs> yes. uh, 
it's it's crazy. I mean, I was speaking. Uh, I was at a school, an all girls school, five thousand girls, mm. and these two girls come up to me at the end, and one wants to be a doctor, one wants to be a lawyer. I'm like, that's great. Are you going to go to university here in India, or maybe you go to Great Britain or the United States? Like, oh, we can't leave India. We're girls. I'm like, get back in that auditorium. I got them all back in. I'm like, now is your moment, ladies. Mm. I mean, within within the next five years, India is going to become the largest country on the planet in terms of population. I mean. You're a very young democracy. You're just over 75 years old. Yet you've already elected a woman prime minister. America still hasn't elected a woman president. I'm like, right now, there are twice as many women in India mm -hmm. as there are people in the United States. There are actually more women in India with a graduate degree than there are people in the United States. And I looked at those young ladies. I'm like, hey, you just made it my mission. The next prime minister, the next CEO, and the next really good one <laughs> out of this audience. Don't let anybody. I've always told that to my students. I'm like, sometimes you need somebody else to believe in you before you believe in yourself. I believe in all of you. They only give me the best and the brightest. Now let's go make this world a better place. I mean, these are these are the things right. that I want my kids to know all the time. Oh my gosh, love it, love it. You know, th thinking about the the difference that the spoken word can can make in someone's world and their life, the impact they can have, yeah. but then also the written word. Yeah. And I, I want to get into the written word because you've written. Let's be. I, I know I was kidding before, but you you wrote a lot of books, sixteen books. <laughs> I, I want to know what inspired you to write even your first book. I wanted to see my name on the spine. On there you go. Perfect answer. And it killed, <laughs> so this, that. This this killed that. me, Raphael. The first book I wrote, I was so excited. I, I was so excited. I co-wrote it with this pretty uh, big person in the education world. His entire contribution to the book was putting his name on the book and writing his biography. That was it. Mm. Uh, I was so excited for my book to come out. And then it turned out it was spiral bound. So my name wasn't on the spine. I was so oh. angry. And so that's what prompted me to write the second book because I wanted my name on the spine. <laughs> so now I have a whole shelf of books with my name on the spine. That's what prompted me. <laughs> is, that, is that how you write up that contract? If my name is not on the spine, I'm not writing that book? I, I will from now on. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the, what was the title of your first book? And what was the, the emphasis on education, I'm assuming? Yeah, it was on elementary education. It's something that put you to sleep even listening to the title. It was about uh, vocabulary strategies in the classroom for classroom teachers. I've written three books on teaching vocabulary to students. That's how I know all that. I, that, it's, that excites me. Oh, you that's know. great. I mean, yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I love, I mean, you got me talking about that earlier where I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about where languages come from mm -hmm. and how they influence one another. Um, I love that. And then, um, you know, it was, I made a turn around 10 years ago. I really started to, because besides uh, schools, then I started having businesses ask me to speak for them. And I realized, oh, I need to be able to offer business people books that can help them. And so that, that's where I, I'm, now my books are a little bit more general. The last book I wrote, I was sharing with you, was called uh, Leadership Begins with Motivation. Hold which, that up again. Hold that up again. Yeah. So this is a book. Uh, I, yes. I wrote this book. Uh, Show me the spine. Yeah, there you go. The spine. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Danny Brissett, all, all this good stuff. I love this. There you go. <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up listening to Paul Harvey on the radio. Paul Harvey passed away a couple of years ago at the mm. age of 325 years old. But I love mm. Paul Harvey because he always would come on the radio at 1215 and he'd say, I'm Paul Harvey with the rest of the story. And he'd tell you these stories. Mm. You're always trying to figure out who's he talking about or what companies he's talking about. Mm. But you and I discussed earlier, like, 
when I would read those stories to students, a lot of the stories are about like J.C. Penny and Sears, and my kids are like, "What's what's Sears?" <laughs> so I decided, oh, I need to write an updated version. And so this book has people like Sarah Blakely and and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. And actually, completely unintentionally, this was interesting, Raphael. After reading the book, I'm like, wait a sec. So many of my examples are of white male Americans. Mm. And that was unintentional. And so the book I'm writing right now, almost all the examples are of uh, minority, female, and international people that uh, uh, came to great things. You'll like, this is a Paul Harvey one. You'll like this because I was in New York uh, just a few weeks ago speaking to a middle school. Uh, and I got the students all pumped up because I'm like, I don't know if you know this, but New York City, before it was called New York City, it was called New Amsterdam because mm -hmm. the Dutch settled there first. Well, the British back in 1664, they were trying to take over the entire Eastern seaboard. And so they invaded New Amsterdam and the Dutch surrendered without firing a shot. And so the British started making fun of the Dutch and pretty soon everything negative in society became Dutch. And some of those expressions have lasted in the English language now for over 350 years. So for example, when you say you're going Dutch on a date, it means you both pay. Uh, I'll be a Dutch man's uncle is not a nice thing to say to a person. A Dutch wife meant she was a prostitute. Dutch yeah. encouragement, uh, you're drunk. But there's one thing the British used to say to the Dutch, which infuriated them. You know how every ethnic group has a type of food we like to associate with that ethnic group? Well, the Dutch, they really like cheese. And so the British started going around calling the Dutch John Cheese. And this made the Dutch so angry, they started calling the British John Cheese. In mm. Dutch, Yankees, mm. you know, Yankees. Yankees yeah. And that is the rest of the story. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> too funny, too funny. You, you kept writing books, kept writing books, kept writing books. And I love the fact that you reread your own books because sometimes, and you know, one of the things that I do, I journal a lot. And I, I journal and then I re-journal from what I wrote. And then I re-journal from what I rewrote, and then I've put into a final journal. So I'm, I've written like so many books, if you will, but I've never published. So eventually I will, right? I'll, so, I'll, I'll help you. I'll get you published in two months. I, I will. I will guy. I just did that with a guy. He's been trying to write his book for twenty years. He coached with me for two months. His book's done. <laughs> that's it. So we'll have to talk more. But but here's the thing, right? And, and I like the fact that you reread your book, and then you realize something that you just had white, mostly white males. And then you said, wait a minute, our world, and you've been talking about this over and over and over on this podcast about how diversity has really changed the world and especially in the US. And then you realize that and you said, wait a minute, I got to do that with my next book because it's, it's, a, it's all the different cultures. It's all the different beliefs. It's all the different ideas that make up our world. It's not one idea, thank God it's not, right? Because yeah, about it. if we were all the same, we'd all be dead because COVID would have wiped us out because we would have all been the same. We should be embracing the diversity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, Hitler would have ruled and all that junk would have been out. <laughs> but th thinking about, you, you decided 10 years ago to start changing what you were writing about mm -hmm. so that you had more content for your audience. So you're listening to your audience. And who would you say your audience is today? Well, it's, it's very broad, Raphael. Um, 
you know, I, I speak still at schools, trying to remind the teachers and the principals uh, why they're important, why they, they shouldn't quit, that we really need them. Mm. Um, when I'm speaking to corporate, I, I speak often on workplace culture. How do we build teams that are going to be unstoppable? What, what are the secrets to success, you know, working together? And then when I'm speaking with, you know, the book I'm writing right now is geared towards helping people uh, become better speakers. Not... Not to be, I mean, I do coach people that are actually professional speakers or people that want to become professional speakers, but I'm more passionate about working with executives, trying to figure out how can my my spoken communication improve my life uh, in business and at home. Uh, mm. So I speak to different audiences, and so different audiences require different types of books. <laughs> nice, nice. So one of the things that I'm doing lately, I, I have a with the kids, I have a call SWAT team. So it's SWAT means special winning attitude team, right? I like it. And for all of summer, I've been doing public speaking with them. I've been teaching them every Saturday how to get their message out. Because if they're looking to become leaders, they need to be able to impact their knowledge onto someone else. So public speaking is a huge thing. And and I try to get them to communicate because you got some of these kids that they come in, their heads are down. Yeah. But they want more. So I'm giving them more. And in this this whole thing, I have two dads who are also joining in because their kids are in it. And they just like, oh, you go in there. I'm like, why don't you guys join us? And so now they're doing the assignments as oh, well. Right? One of us is a lawyer and the other one's an engineer. And they're both loving what I'm doing with the kids. But they're also going, well, this is also good for me. Because when when we think about public speaking, I mean, job interview, if you can't speak what kind of job are you going to get if you're just going to go oh, did you look at my resume that that's not enough right sometimes you have to tell them about you what you're looking for and and to me i always tell anybody who's going for an interview don't just let them interview you you interview them Absolutely. you're going to spend time with these people make sure it's the right place for you so everything when when we think about everything comes down to public speaking you want to ask somebody on a date you're going to get better dates if you know what to say. <laughs> everything, negotiations. It's everything. a numbers game. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it is, right? But, but even like like little kids, right? They don't quit. Mom, why this? Dad, why that? Why, 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 why? And like I said earlier, adults put a stop to it, but we can't. And I tell the kids, one of the things I always say to them, listen, People are always going to tell you to stop asking why. Do me a favor. Never stop asking why. And if they don't want to hear it, don't ask why, but in your mind, ask why. Mm-hmm. And always look for the real answers. Danny, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that I'm doing. And, and I, I love the fact that you are making that real deep impression on people about reading because you have thereadinghabit.com. And I love that. So one of the things that I do with the little guys is I, I I have a challenge in class. And then sometimes I also have student of the day, whoever did the best, whoever listened the most and all that stuff. And then at the end, I have a big basket and I have toys in it and I have what we call Sifu coins. I used to call them gold coins. And that somebody, one of my mentors said to me, why are you calling them gold coins? Call them Sifu coins. I'm like, I love it. I'm going to do that. So Sifu coins and the kids can get enough Sifu coins to purchase. I have a, I have a row of books, all um, kinds of cool books. Love, they I can buy, it. they can buy a book, but they can't, their parents can't buy the book. No, they can't even bring me money 
they have to bring me seafood coins. So I have to, they have to not only earn it, but now I'm also teaching them about finance. They have to save it. And then they have to have to set a goal. So this, they, this happens in every class. Like yesterday, I had one of the kids. When it comes to the younger kids, they don't get it as much. You know, like three, five-year-olds. They're like, I want that toy. I'm like, take it. It's yours. But the other kids, when they go, oh, I can get that book. I want that book. And then I, so I got kids like for six coins, you get this book, eight coins, you get this book, 10 coins is the most I do. And then they get these other cool books. And I got kids going, I only got seven coins. I, I, I can't wait. I said, are you waiting for eight coins or 10? They're like, I want 10. I want that book over there. I'm like, all right, keep going, keep doing good. So it, impacting that, that desire to read, right? Earning it, if you will, because it is a privilege. It is a privilege to be able to read. It is a privilege to pick up a book. And I had Alex Strathy on, on my podcast, and he's he helps authors, you know, get their books well known out there on Amazon. And he was talking about the impact that the written word can do for someone, but the fact that even $20, $30 can get you so much knowledge. But and you can hire a coach just through their book. Mm. So that and tell tell me the latest title of your book and tell me a little bit about it. I'm not going to give either. I have two books I'm writing right now and I can't give either title because okay. I don't. Have How about the one. last one you wrote? Yeah. <laughs> the last one leadership begins with motivation, but um, okay. yeah, I'm actually really because I'm writing. I'm writing one book about uh, it's it's like leadership begins with motivation only it's focused on uh, uh, minorities, females, and mm -hmm. international examples, and then the book I'm writing about speaking. Um, I, 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 I actually love both titles and I don't want to nice. lose them. <laughs> don't do it, don't do it. But I definitely want you to, you know, come back and, and definitely share those books with us. What would you say when you start to write a book? Is the book fully written before you start or is it a work in progress? That's a great question, Raphael. So there's two different processes. The easiest book I ever wrote was based on one of my popular keynotes, which is called A Baker's Dozen of Lessons Learned from the Teaching Trenches. And I'd given that speech like 150 times. And so when I wrote the book, the book took me three days to write. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, other books, uh, like the book I'm writing right now on, on uh, different success examples around the world, it's taking me a lot longer because I'm having to do a lot of research. Uh, I was just... I just did a story about these. You'll love it. That's, this is a great story. So there's these two women in this diner, Martha and Agnes, sharing coffee. And they're both choreographers. And uh, Agnes has just opened her third musical on Broadway. And fans seem to like it, but the critics have just panned it. And so she thinks she wants to close the show. And Martha's like, no, you can't close the show. It's not for you to judge your own work. You know, mm -hmm. others can judge your work, but it doesn't matter because if you shut down this show, the world loses it. There's only mm -hmm. one of you. There's never been another one of you and there's never going to be another one of you. So you need to keep this show open. Mm -hmm. And so Martha, the woman that encouraged her friend Agnes, Martha was Martha Graham, who's known as the, the mother of modern dance. She won the Kennedy Center Honors. She won mm -hmm. uh, uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom. And Agnes, her friend, was Agnes DeMille. Mm -hmm. And she also won those honors, and she wound up becoming the, the first woman to have three successful musicals on Broadway at the same time. And the show that she decided not to close down, she renamed it to Oklahoma. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. I mean, Pretty it's cool. not for... It's not pre I mean, I, I, I wrote another one the other day. It was about this Italian guy, and he's writing to his buddy Giuseppe. He's like, oh, 
my back is killing me. My ass is sore. I've been inhaling fumes for four years. I am so miserable. I've never been more miserable in my life. Alas, Giuseppe, I am not a painter. I am a sculptor. Mm. The letter was signed Michelangelo right after he finished painting the Sistine Chapel. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. Danny. You have two books in the works. Mm-hmm. You, you're helping coaches, or should I say leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Become better. Yep. Will public speak? I think public speaking will definitely impact everyone's life. I mean, communication at home will probably be a lot better. Absolutely. Communication with your employees will be a lot better. Communication with your colleagues will be a lot better. Just communication overall. And sometimes... So many people claim they're misunderstood. I wonder why. Yeah, I think what a good coach does is they get you over that hump. I mean, Mm. Tiger Woods, he has a putting coach. He has a short game coach. He has a driving coach. He has a mental coach. And I always tell my clients, I'm like, you know, you have that framework. You have it. Mm -hmm. It's inside of you. My -hmm. job is to make it a little bit better. So one of my specialties, you know, I, I believe in yes and. Like, oh, that's really great what you have. And here's another possibility. And have you considered, I was working with a woman the other day and her speech, you know, she's doing a TED talk and she starts off with this song. She's got a beautiful singing voice and she ends with a song. And I said, well, wait a sec. Why have you considered changing the lyrics to the song so the, so the song actually tells a story during the uh, the talk? Mm. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm like, oh, have you considered maybe at the beginning because you were talking about how you, you had a lot of self-doubt when you were younger. Why don't you start singing like you're a little kid and not very good? And then by the end of the talk, then you give us your beautiful voice that you have. She's a Broadway actress. So I'm like, oh. And she's like, oh, that's a different way. I'm not here. I, I just like to give lots of different ideas. And like when I, when I run my mastermind, business leaders always say, Danny, you always give 10 ideas. And nine of them are just completely crazy. But one of them is worth millions of dollars. <laughs> I'm like, but that's what it is, is... You know, what's it's throwing spaghetti at the wall. What's mm-hmm. going to stick? You know, how mm-hmm. do we make this a little bit better? You know, and, and again, one of the, I'm very good at showing people how to engage the audience and how to make it funnier or something. Uh, uh, a woman, she was just talking about, uh, she's talking about s- social media and how uh, it can be positive and negative. And so I just, I, when she said the word dopamine, I'm like, oh, well, that's a great, you can easily turn that into a humorous line where, you know, you, you click on social media to hear positive things and every every now and then somebody writes something negative and it makes you feel like a dope because they're so mean to you on social media. And she's like, oh, I never thought. I'm like, okay, we can just play with the language. I mean, there's easy ways. You don't even have to be funny mm. to add humor. I mean, I was with a, a dry guy once and he's like, well, I don't have a sense of humor. And I'm like, well, I used to do that with my little ones. I'm like, I would just look at them. I'm like, do you want to see the fastest smile in the West? Do you want to see it again? Do you want to see it again? Because mm-hmm. like, oh, what? I'm like, oh, you're missing it. It's the fastest smile. You know, <laughs> adding humor, but it's not like I'm not changing anything. I mean, like Al Gore was kind of stiff, and I thought what was smart was whoever coached him said, "Well, why don't you embrace the stiffness?" I'm like, that's mm-hmm. what I always tell people. I'm working with a guy right now, and uh, Puerto Rican has a very thick Puerto Rican accent. I said, don't run away from it. Embrace it. Make yeah. fun of it. People are going to love you for having that accent because you're making fun of yourself. I mean, if you really want to impress anybody when you're speaking, don't tell them about your successes. Tell them about your failures because not everybody in your audience has succeeded, but they've all failed 
And the more you show your own vulnerability, the more they're going to love you. I love what you're saying. You're saying be original. Don't be an imposter. Yeah. Right. Be you. Mm-hmm. Be you. That, that, to me, that's, you know, showing up. And, and like we said earlier, no matter where you go, there you are. And then who are you presenting to other people? Do you present different people to different audiences? Mm. Or do you, because then that, that's hard to keep up, isn't it? Yeah. Or do you just come authentic every single time and just be who you are? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's two ways to improve your speaking. Mm. The first one is to watch lots of speakers. You know, so I'm constantly I watch politicians, I'll watch mm-hmm. televangelists, I'll watch comedians. You know, uh, I watch them in front of big groups, in front of small groups. Uh, one of the secret uh, ninja tricks I teach my people is I'm constantly watching award shows because most of the people when they win their award. They only have 45 seconds to give a speech. And I want to see, oh, can you actually make it interesting in 45 seconds? Because most people just go, I want to thank God and I want to thank the Academy and everybody. But every now and then, somebody gives a really good speech. And I'll give you an example. I was watching the Academy Awards this year. And unfortunately, the Will Smith thing overshadowed everything. But there was one guy, and I don't remember, I can't even remember. It was some technical award. It was a smaller uh, award. And so people aren't really paying attention. And he gets up there. And he says, thank you. He's like, a lot of people don't know this, but when phrased properly, the term Academy Award nominee can be used as an insult. For example, yesterday I got in an argument with my 17-year-old daughter and she said, well, Academy Award nominee Thomas Merton. (laughs) And everybody was laughing hysterically. And the point is, Raphael, this is a nothing guy well, I guarantee you after that speech, all of a sudden Harrison Ford and Brad Pitt are rushing up to him. They want to meet this guy because right. he gave him a story. My own son is giving a speech today in school. Mm. and he, I, he didn't ask me for help. And I wish he had asked me for help because he started t- reading it to me. And he's like, it has to be on a famous person. And he was just reciting facts about this person. I'm like, mm. but nobody's going to remember that. If you want people to remember things, you got to give them a story. People That's remember the story. Right. Uh, Walt Disney said people think in pictures. He's right about that. I actually, I've never written a speech in my life. What I do is I illegally download images off of Google and I put them together in a PowerPoint and then those pictures guide me on where I'm going to go with my presentation. But if you, if you actually physically write the speech too often, I see people, they get nervous. They, they forget a word. Oh, I was supposed to be here. And that was one of the tips I gave my son today. I'm like, you're the only person that knows what your speech is. You can't screw it up. That's right. You screw it up. They haven't heard it before, and you change it. Yeah, w- one of the things I, I I love that one of the things I tell um, a lot of my my students, w- w- no matter where they are, if they're performing, I'll say, just think of fudge, just fudge. Yeah. Everybody like likes fudge. Doesn't matter the shape. They're still gonna go. Mmm, that was yummy. And it doesn't matter if it looks terrible, but as long as it tastes good, right? So it's I that delivery. It. Right? It's the story. And you know, one of the things that I'm teaching the kids about you know, doing their public speaking, they, they have to actually, we, we're coming up with a presentation very soon. They started doing it and they're very, very dry. And one little girl has a great instance where she actually learned to use her martial arts to defend herself. And the whole theme for everybody to come through is how Kung Fu changed my life. And she just came and she goes, a kid on the bus hit me. He pushed me. So I used my Kung Fu and that's it. I'm like, wait a minute. There's a lot more to that story. I recall your parents calling me and asking me if it was okay if they treated you to ice cream afterwards because you defended yourself. I said, look how much your parents believe in you 
that instead of you getting in trouble, they even told, because the principal of the school wanted them to punish her. And the parents turned around and said, no, we're taking her out for ice cream. <laughs> that was the best thing ever. And I said, you got to use that in your story to show how your parents support your actions because you did the right thing. You know, you, you were suffocating and you actually had to get out of a situation and nobody else was helping you. So yeah, it's, it's creating those stories, right. To make them real, to make somebody bring them in. And I, and I, I love the fact that we're, we've had a conversation about almost everything today. Haven't we? We've covered a lot. Absolutely. Well, here's a here's a quick tip for your audience. If if people really want to get better at speaking, what I would encourage everybody to do is tonight sit down with a, a libation of your choice, nice glass of something, what? Uh, a pen and paper, and I want you to write down every story that's ever happened in your life. And I don't mean write the entire story. I mean write down triggers like the time I locked myself out of the car in Costco, uh, the time that Dad spilt mustard on him. And what you'll do is you'll come up with and all throughout business, throughout your childhood, everything. What will happen is you'll come up with about four or 500 stories. And then what I want you to do is then start looking at that story and figuring out, well, does this, this, oh, this actually is a story about support. Um, mm. Oh, this is a story about responsibility. Oh, here's a story about accountability. Oh, mm. here's a story about loyalty, you know, because then you can drop those in whenever you're trying to make a point. There's nothing that makes me happier than when I hear a person make a point by telling a story that has nothing to do with that story with that point that they're trying to make, but you're like, Oh, that was a really good, good way of doing that. It's a clever way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great, great advice. And you're right from the age of even when you can recall to the age of 10, you probably have hundreds of stories, right? So I, I love that idea. Tell me you, you decided to give gifts today. Oh yes. Yeah. Why? Why? You so, Kind, tell me. I, 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 it's, it's a thank you to you and your audience for for enduring um, with listening to my stories. <laughs> yeah, if you I, if you go to the website freegiftfromdanny.com again, freegiftfromdanny.com, you have it right there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I'm going to give you two freebies. First of all, I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. Wow. This is a book I wrote for a school principal who was trying to keep his uh, faculty and staff positively engaged. So I said, okay. I'll, I'll write you a book. And so every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's <laughs> book recommendation, demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. I'm also going to give everybody access to a, uh, a five-day reading challenge I did last summer for about 700 parents online. Mm. Where every day for five consecutive days, you're with me for an hour. And I'm giving you all kinds of ideas on how to get your kid excited about reading. Uh, that's really my passion. The more excited we get kids to read, the more likely they are to read. And the more they read, the better they get. I mean, that's what I could have kissed you, Raphael, for that story of uh, you've turned reading from a chore into a reward. I mean, right. I love that Pizza Hut does the Book It program. But if I ever meet the CEO of Pizza Hut, I'm going to make a suggestion. The way that program works now is kids read books and they get rewarded with pizza. If I ran the program, it would be exactly the opposite. Every time a kid came into Pizza Hut to eat some pizza, I'd reward him with a book. Mm. You, and you didn't even realize you're doing it, you're sending a very different message to the kid that reading is the reward, and this is something to be honored and celebrated every day. So I, I love that. I I feel like a Baptist in your front row, uh, Raphael, saying amen to everything you're saying. <laughs> I agree with it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, 
I recall and I used to enjoy so much is sitting down at night and, and reading books to my children, even before they can even read or just even speak, mm-hmm. right? You know, they're 16 months old. I'm still flipping books with them, you know, jump over the moon and so forth. One of the books that I give every every little one, three and a half and up, that they come to my class their first day or, you know, within the first two weeks or whatever, I give them a book about words and how they have meaning, right? So it's like hugging and this and that. And so it's a positivity. And the parents are like, you gave my kid a book? I'm like, yeah, I want you guys to read it with them <laughs> every night and, and get them to have that that love, the long love language that we stop using later on. Because I tell the kids, oh, here's the, here's the other cool thing that you, you might enjoy. We have three bows at the beginning of my kids' classes. One is we pay respect to our ancestors. So we say, I'm a future black belt. And then the next one, we say respect, courtesy, and honor. And the last bow, and we do this at the beginning of class and at the end of class. It's the only time we bow. We turn around to our family, whoever brought us that day, and we say thank you. And the parents are like, my kid's thanking me. I said, yeah, get used to it. Because I love that. Jeez. How many many people... I just I just went to your free gift from Danny.com, by the way. Great. I love it. So how many people call their parents? Yeah. Right. When my parents were alive, I called them regularly. Yeah. And the other day I saw something on on I think it was a social media post and it said, if you get either one of these, you're very lucky. And it was a little picture of saying mom calling and the other one said dad calling. Mm-hmm. Because if you have that, it's like wow. And once in a while, you know. After my mom passed, I was like, oh, I got to call mom. I'm like, oh, I can't call mom. Yeah. But I can still talk to her, right? So cherish those moments yeah. of the with the people that are around you and always remember to say, I love you. I care about you. How can I help you today, right? Well what would you say is, I, I, you've given so many tips, advice, amazing stories. Uh, you know, I, I think that when you and I get together one day, we're just going to have a great, great, big belly laugh. Right? It's going to go on for days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, by the way. Wow. We're going to have to have a, a, a big meeting with everybody who's ever been on my show. It'll be a great day because there'll be hundreds of people. One of the things that... You should that, do that. You should do that, Rafa. I do that with my the people that I... When I coach, I usually get people in a group of eight. And then we do a follow-up two weeks later where everybody gets to see where at what stage people are in their mm-hmm. presentations. But then six months later, we have a big hullabaloo to celebrate one another's success and how far we've come. Because I, I think you're right. I don't think pe- people get caught up in the process and they forget to celebrate all the progress that they've made. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for today. I mean, gosh, what a blast I've had. Thank you, thank my you. friend. Any, any last words? I mean, we had Ray up. He said... Greetings and salutations, and he loves, I think, everything that you said just as much as I do. Thank One of my you. mentors was Charlie Tremendous Jones. He had a great saying I love. He said, you're the same today as you will be in five years, except for two things, the people you meet and the books you read. So make sure to surround yourself with people that lift you up and make sure to read lots of things that fill you with positivity. That's mm. helpful. Thanks for all that you do. Oh, I appreciate it. And do me a favor, everybody. If you can't afford a book, the library, people. The library. Until you can afford one, go to the library. When you can afford it, go ahead and buy them. And do me a favor, pick up Danny's books. (laughs) Any one of them, I'm sure, will be a lot of fun. And I can't wait. I'm looking forward to reading your book, my friend. Cool. Thank you, Raphael. All right. Enjoy. Have an amazing day. God bless. God bless. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. 
You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.